Listener Production. A warning, this episode contains explicit language and adult themes. I'm Amelia Robohart. This is Secrets We Keep, Shame Lies and Family. After nearly 12 years of searching, I had finally found the man in the photo, Michael Davies, and he'd invited me to visit his home in Cairns. I was finally ready to get some answers about who was the baby in that photo. I do apologise about the late running in the service. If you're up here on holiday, I hope you have a fantastic time. It's a great time of year to get out of the reef. After a few minor flight hiccups, my producer Ellen and I arrive in Cairns. We've picked up a hire car and begin the drive out of the city towards the mountains that surround the suburban sprawl. I'm pressing record now. Tell me about the phone call with Michael Davies. I mean, he didn't sound so unexpected to have heard from me. I pretty much just said, is this Michael? And he paused for a while and he was like, yes, I am. And we talked for a while. So he was happy for us to come and see him? Yeah, he seemed, he's been really receptive the whole time. He's got a box of photos of Cecilia that he's gotten out to show us. And yeah, he doesn't seem weirded out that this 37-year-old daughter of his ex-wife is flying to Cairns to come and see him. So that's a good sign. How are you feeling? I feel quite anxious. Yeah, probably that's the best way to describe it. But it will be nice to know someone that knew those parts of her too. So, yeah. Michael greets us on his driveway, and I immediately recognise him from the photo at the wake. He's still got a full head of hair, greying now, and dark eyebrows. He's wearing regulation Cairns footwear, a beautiful pair of pluggers, or thongs for the rest of the country, and khaki shorts. It's a bit awkward at first. I wasn't sure if Michael would want to be interviewed, but he's pretty easygoing. We set up on a table outside in his backyard, and I have verbal diarrhoea from the start. I was saying to Ellen on the way here how bizarre it must have been for you to receive a call from your ex-wife of 50 years ago from her 37-year-old daughter asking... Mm you know, you to dredge up all the past. And I, at that time, was like, I could be blowing your whole life up. Like, I could be ringing you up and you could have, you know, be with your family or your wife and, and no one would ever know. And, um, you know, over like 10 years, I kind of, ever since I found out she was married before. Eventually, I managed to get a question out. How'd you meet her to begin with? We were all camped up at uh, Maroochydore. Michael tells me he and his mates were on holidays. They'd been camping in Maroochydore. That's about two hours north of Brisbane. And I think our tent got blown down. There was a mini cyclone or some big storm coming through. I was camped up there with all our mates. And uh... Michael says that he and his mates had ended up relocating from their tent up to somebody's unit. And it just so happened that my mum, Cecilia, was staying in that unit. And that's how they first met. The storm had created a new group of mates and Michael says they arranged other meetings. And eventually, he and Mum headed off. I think we went to a concert. It was an open-air concert. And I think that's where we might have finally hooked up, was at this concert, where we had the first kiss, something like that. Asking about things from 50-odd years ago is always hard. 
but Michael says the relationship he thinks started around late 1971 or early 72. Although Mum's extremely protective father was wary of this bloke that was spending a lot of time with his firstborn daughter. We used to do all sorts of things to try and sneak out and Ms. Cecilia try and go on a walk and get away from the parents. The next minute, Ray's coming around the corner looking for us, looking for his daughter. Oh, yeah, they're so protective of her. Yeah, they were right on to us the whole time, mate. Eh? They knew what was going to happen, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> they could see it coming. History shows that Cecilia's parents had a right to be worried. It was around 12 months into the relationship that Michael thinks Mum realised she was pregnant. Actually, funny enough, I was away at the time. I'd gone down to Melbourne and I remember ringing your mother up and she said, um, I'm definitely, because we were sort of wondering, mm-hmm. and, uh, and she said, I'm definitely pregnant. And I'm going, oh, wow, I better come home. So I came back to Brisbane. Was she upset or was she okay? Oh, she was pretty upset, yeah, but she was glad to see me when I got back. (laughs) And she was crying and she threw her arms around me and, yeah, totally stressed out. Yeah, of course, as you would be. In his matter-of-fact way, Michael tells us it probably wasn't that much of a surprise given the pill was at that time largely aimed at married women. Cecilia had gone to see if she could get on the pill but she had to do it all very secretly. And in those days, it was all, we were all embarrassed to go into the chemist and ask for condoms or everything was, you like, you always thought everyone was, you know, gonna look down upon you, you know, what are you doing? Was there any kids? So it was, it was something that, yeah, it wasn't as open as what it is today, that's for sure. Michael says mum's pregnancy was confirmed by a doctor. At this time in late 72 or early 73, Mum was age 17 and Michael was 18. Given they were so young, they obviously had to tell their parents. Michael has no idea what happened when Cecilia told her parents, but he remembers what happened when he told his. I told Mum. Dad come in and Mum said, Cecilia's pregnant. Dad looked at me and he said, Oh, not again. Michael explains that his older three siblings had all been in similar situations. By the time he rolled around, his parents were not that fussed by the whole pregnant out of wedlock thing. My mother regretted forcing my brothers to get married, or one of them, because it all sort of went foul and went bad. So, no parent pressure from Michael's parents to get married. In his recollection, the decision to get married seems very casual and driven by the young couple discussion between the two of us, if I remember, I probably would have just said, well, we'll get married. Don't worry. (laughs) We got this. (laughs) That's all it would have been. You know what I mean? That's how it would have gone. I wonder if this decision to get married was different from Mum's perspective. The Catholic guilt that would have been thrust upon her from all angles would have been enormous. To have not only had sex outside of marriage, but to then get pregnant outside of marriage that would have brought a great deal of shame to her family. It wasn't their fault, it was just the way society viewed things back then. In 1971, 86% of the Australian population identified as Christian, and nearly 30% of that group were Catholics. If you grew up in those circles, shame was a big driver of the decisions you made. 
I can imagine Mum was terrified. Though maybe she didn't communicate any of that with Michael. So was she planning, did you guys ever discuss, like, where are we going to put the baby or what are we going to name it or do you think it's a boy or a girl? it never really got that far. It never really got that far, I don't think. Before I could even ask the question, Michael gave me the answer I'd been looking for. She had a miscarriage probably about two weeks before the wedding. So Joe was right. Mum had had a miscarriage. Michael says he doesn't know that much. He was kept at an arm's length away from everything. When she went in the hospital for the miscarriage, I think they said, well, I think she was taken to hospital at some stage. I wasn't really there. My mother, the mothers were dealing with it. My mother and her mother. And um, I was just told all about it later. And I didn't even know that it was happening until it was all over. A miscarriage is traumatic for anyone especially for a 17-year-old. At a time when pregnancy was considered something in the private domain, it follows that if mum had any feelings of grief, she might have had to carry that alone. But as Joe said, mum didn't really dwell on the miscarriage. I wondered if Michael shared the same opinion. Was she upset by the miscarriage? I don't think so, too much. For me, it was a bit of a relief, in a way. Yeah. And I think it probably was for her too, I feel. I found it all extremely comforting to know there'd been no baby and that mum had felt relief when the pregnancy didn't work out. She must have been so scared, so young and so vulnerable and without any real options. But if there was no pregnancy, why was there still a wedding? Mum said to me, my mother said to me, she said, you know, you can call the wedding off now if you want. You don't have to get married. But on the other side, on Cecilia's side, she was pretty um, keen to let everything go ahead. Everything was booked, uh, you know, the, all the reservations were booked, the invitations had gone out. So, um, and it didn't worry me. I said, oh, no, it seems cool for some reason. <laughs> I was probably pretty young and stupid. <laughs> But um, obviously, but um, I don't know. We thought we loved one another and so we got married. I personally couldn't imagine getting married to someone at 17. I could not have made any great life choices when I was 17. I was such a kid still. I felt like a kid well into my 20s. But this was a time when marriage wasn't really that far off if you were 17. In 1974, the average age women first got married was 21. See, I suppose they all still had that exhortation that you should get married. Mm. You should get married. I mean, these days now, you don't. You just go and live together, see how it goes. Much cheaper. Asking Michael for a second time why the marriage still took place, I find it interesting that he says now, maybe there was something bigger at play. Maybe it was love, or maybe it was the feeling of societal or parental expectations. And unpacking it with Michael, it wouldn't surprise me if Mum's very Catholic family had very strong views about that wedding going ahead. Once it had happened, they would have safeguarded themselves from any future mishap, you know, or pregnancies Mm. by that. I can see why they would have, because they would have thought, well, you're going to be together 
and mm. this is going to happen again, so we may as well. They probably influenced me more than I probably remember, but as far as I sort of remember, it was just always, you're pregnant, now we get married. And that was all there was to it. They had all the trappings of a lovely marriage. They had a honeymoon and bought a house where Michael says they lived for a while. But as we know, the marriage did break up. Ah, because, well, we were too young and we weren't getting along that well in the finish. And uh, there was a couple of nights there where she didn't come home. Well, that was pretty well the end of it. There was a couple of serious arguments after that. And it wasn't too long after that she moved out. Michael tells me he went through the process of the divorce and then the Catholic annulment. And um, were you, you guys amicable at the end when it all... Yeah, there was never... I've never had any real bad breakups with people um, you know, such as life. And I don't stress out too much about things. Reflecting now, Michael says maybe he didn't understand what Cecilia was going through. I explained to him how mum had ended up with an alcohol dependency and how she died. I mean, I might have been more casual. I might not have even picked up on Cecilia at that age in those days, how stressed out she was. I just might not have even... I just thought things were okay, you know? I didn't see any problems or I didn't see what was coming for her. There was no signs that she was... um, We all drank a lot of alcohol in those days, but there was no sign that um, she was going down that path. And then the question I had been waiting a long time to ask. And the baby in the photo. Yeah, that's my niece's baby. My niece's, that's my my brother's daughter. She's only a few years younger than me. Michael's siblings are a lot older than he was. And he explains how he, an uncle, has a niece that's pretty close in age. I guess with mum having a miscarriage and Michael telling me the baby in the photo is his niece's baby, it's a mystery solved. It is an anticlimax, but a serious relief. I won't be looking for any long lost family members. Sitting across from Michael, I can tell he's not lying. He's not covering up some great family conspiracy. He's definitely telling the truth. He does tell me something else about his niece though. But I know that my niece told me years afterwards, she said, I've run into Cecilia in town. And I gone, oh, true. And I said, how was that? And she said, she made me swear that I never tell anyone that she was married. She did not want anyone to know that she'd ever been married before. I just failed to see why mum would be so embarrassed and ashamed about a marriage that happened when she was a teenager and was clearly over by the time she hit her mid-twenties. Why couldn't people know? Michael is as confused as I am. That's why I think when she passed away, I thought, wow, I'd love to say something. But I thought, no, because I didn't know how it would come across. I didn't know who knew what. Mm. So I thought, I'll keep out of it and don't say anything. Michael tells me about the last time he saw Cecilia. I think the last time I met your mother, she came up here to Cairns. That would have been early 80s, real early 80s. Why did she come to Cairns that time? I'm not sure. She was working in the travel industry, so... Mm. But other than that, I don't know why she was here. 
I don't think it was to see me. I think she just thought she'd look me up while she was here because she knew I was here. Michael says they went to a bar. Yeah, we were there for an hour or two, I suppose. And, um, yeah, I'm not sure what happened. Your mother just up and left all of a sudden. And I'm sort of like, did I say something? And that was the last time I ever did saw she, her. Did she try and talk to you about the past, about the not really. marriage or anything? We were just doing normal chit-chat, current day stuff. Did she act like she wanted to tell you something or was it just... Yeah, she seemed a bit... All of a sudden got a bit upset in the end and took off. Just left. Hooray, gone. I'm going, wow. So strange. This would have been early in mum and dad's relationship. I'm pretty sure they were married. I asked dad and he has no recollection of mum going to Cairns at all in the 80s. It kind of sticks with me after this interview. Why was mum so upset in Cairns? But at the same time, that is what she could be like. You could be having a normal conversation, you'd ask a wrong question, she could fly off the handle or she'd completely shut down. I really have no idea why mum went to Cairns to see Michael. Despite answering some of my questions, others now linger. For whatever reason, mum had wanted to keep this part of her life, her first marriage and a miscarriage, a secret. It is very hard for me now to understand why it needed to be such a big secret. What is so bad about having had a miscarriage and another marriage in your teenage years? Maybe she was a product of her time. Maybe she had internalised the shame and secrecy about the whole situation. So much so, she took it to her grave. I didn't know why it had to be such a secret. I've got no idea why it had to be so kept secret. And um, that's why I was glad that you contacted me because I thought, well, it was nice to get this off your chest a little bit. Michael takes us inside to his kitchen table and he's put together a few photos of him and Cecilia. I'm pretty sure this is all the photos I could find of Cecilia. Like I say, there's a lot that are missing. Yeah, that's the one, yeah. And there it is, that photo that has stuck with me all these years. Michael explains it was taken after the baptism of his niece's baby, Simon. I think we were godparents. That's why the photos were taken with us. So, yeah, we must have gone godparents for so young Simon. That flashed up at the funeral. And that's when I was like, who are these people? When I got the photo, it's blurring now, but she's wearing a wedding ring. And it came back time-stamped as August 1973, which made her 17. And mm. that's when I was like, something's happened. Mm. Mm. I could understand where you get the wrong impression <laughs> there a little bit. Yeah. We've been talking to Michael for over an hour. It's nice to be in a place where we can joke about why we're here. Looking through all these photos of mum, she's so happy and smiling. And what probably surprises me most is just how affectionate she is in so many of these photos. That's the way it always was, but she always seemed to be. It was always hanging on to my arm. Mm. She is, always. Yeah. And even in that one? Yeah. There they are, side by side in someone's garden or on holidays in Papua New Guinea. She's just always holding him. Always, um, <laughs> she was always very close, always made you, always felt good. 
Because she showed no affection at all towards us at all. Like, never. Mm-hmm. She'd never cuddle or be like, come and give me a hug, ever. Oh. Mm. Yeah, it's a shame. The photos Michael kept of them, they look in love and very happy. It feels good to know this had been a nice time in her life. It's all good memories, that's what I mean. It's a shame that it was all... Um, um, when I... It had to be such a secret, because we had a good time. We did lots of, you know, a few years. We had a great time. We were just young and, and in love and, yeah, it was cool. We end up turning off the mics and we sit with Michael for another hour or so. We talk all about his life after mum, his next wife, his kids and his business. He's a really endearing and very likeable guy. He's been so generous opening up about this period of his life. Eventually, we hug goodbye. Well, well, I really thank you so much for being a part of it and for helping me so much. It's been amazing. I think I'll probably never really understand my mum. She was an extremely complex person and she carried a lot of pain. Whether that pain was from the shame of a teenage pregnancy or whether there was other underlying issues, I guess I'll never know. What I do know is that after visiting Michael, I have never felt more at peace with her than I do now. My relationship with mum was so broken and so torturous. Now, I just feel nothing but sympathy for her. I will always desperately wish for one more conversation, to clear the air and to clear her conscience of whatever it was burdened by. That won't happen, I know that. I do dream about her sometimes, and in those dreams, she is exactly herself. She often tells me to stop crying because I'm a hypochondriac and that I'm getting makeup on her jacket. And that couldn't be more real. So I guess she does live on somewhere inside me. I know that people will sit and think, why would you dredge up the past? Why can't you just leave the past in the past? But that is the problem with unresolved trauma and the relationships that break down without any resolution. The past can be one key to healing. It can unlock the gate to understanding someone more. After the trip to Cairns, I got a call from Joe. That's Mum's best friend, who you heard from in episode one. She told me she'd been at dinner in Brisbane, telling her friends about my mum and this podcast, and how I wanted to explore the stories of other women that had been put in impossible situations. Joe's friend broke down. She said she'd been pregnant in the 70s. She'd given birth in Sydney, and was told her baby had died. Jo told me her friend wanted to share her story because that baby was very much alive. And I just picked up my phone, as you do at the end of the day, and went, tung, 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 got this email. <laughs> the the opening, opening line was, um, I think you might be my mother. These are the stories I knew existed. The stories that every second person I spoke to seemed to have their own version of. These are the stories you're about to hear on Secrets We Keep. If this episode has raised any issues for you, you can call Lifeline on 13 11 14. 
Secrets We Keep, Shame, Lies and Family is created and hosted by me, Amelia Robahart. Producer, Jake Morecambe. Production assistants, Romy Scher and Bonnie Lavelle. Fact-checking, Ben Sion Siebert and Madeline Larson. Sound design and mix by Niall Fernandez. Executive producer, Ellen Liebeter. With assistance from Claire Weaver and Simon Beaton. Natasha Jobson is our head of news ops and Melanie Withnell, head of news and information. If you've enjoyed the series so far, you can leave us a rating and a review. We'd love to hear from you. Subscribe and follow Secrets We Keep to stay up to date.